Welcome to the Grad School Femtoring Podcast, the place for first-gen students of color to prepare for grad school. This is Dr. Yvette Martinez Fu, and I will be serving as your femtor, providing you with tips and tricks and everything else you need to know to get into and successfully navigate grad school. For over 10 years, I've been helping first-gen students of color get into top grad programs in their field, and I'm really excited to support you on your academic journey too. Welcome back everyone to the Grad School Femtoring Podcast. This is Dr. Yvette and today I have another wonderful guest here who's going to be talking to us all about pursuing a doctoral degree in higher education leadership. Our guest is Jeanette Sanchez Palacios, who is a Latina, a full-time mom. She's a wife, a councilwoman, a district director, and she's also pursuing a doctoral degree in higher ed leadership, which is why she's going to be talking about that topic. So welcome to the podcast, Jeanette. Thank you so much. <laughs> I really appreciate uh, you giving me a platform and the time to talk today. I'm really excited to have you on because um, you are a very multifaceted mujer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't find it that way. <laughs> And I feel like a lot of folks, um, you know, will relate to you in some way, shape or form in terms of like the listeners uh, of the podcast. So I would love for you to just get us started telling us a little bit more about you and your backstory, like your sure. background, your personal and professional trajectory. Yeah, again, thank you for just the opportunity. Um, my background in terms of just personal familial background, I'm uh, the youngest of three children. Uh, my mother uh, brought us when we were really young to the United States. Um, originally, I'm from Guatemala, and I was four years old when she decided to take that journey and, you know, um, cross the border and come to the United States in search of that dream, right? Um, and so for me, uh, pursuing education has always been something at the forefront because my mom, who only had up to like a sixth grade education, as well as my dad, the only thing that they could tell us about education was make sure you get good grades, make sure you do well in school, um, because that's what's going to bring success. Um, and so throughout my life, uh, that's, again, always been something that I think about often. And so I'm the first to graduate from uh, you know, college or university, your traditional college or university. My brother graduated from DeVry University with an engineering degree. Um, my sister is an executive assistant at a community college. Um, and then, you know, here I am. And my education goals were sort of like the late bloomer education goals because I didn't go to college straight out of high school. Um, I didn't get my master's degree immediately after I got my bachelor's. And so now it's been a few years that I've been out of, out of school and I'm pursuing my doctorate. So it's kind of been spaced out. Um, but I think for me, just kind of recognizing uh, the opportunities that public education gave me um, really have given me the, the fuel, if you will, to go after this degree um, in higher education leadership. And starting out, I think, with just um, obviously in high school, 
um, I didn't have the tools to be prepared to go on to um, college right after. Um, I remember seeing my my classmates talking about the SATs and ACTs and getting ready to apply, and I had no idea what those tests were. Um, and I remember sitting with one of my teachers, and she was like, "Well, let's just apply anyway. Let's just take the test anyway." And so she was very encouraging um, to just have me go through the application process, which I thought, you know, at the time you're like, why am I doing this when I don't have the grades? But in retrospect now, I feel like she helped me just kind of just go through the process anyway, right? Um, and so uh, I ended up at community college because I didn't know what I wanted to do. And um, now that I, you know, my life took me to into politics, I started connecting the dots, if you will. I started to see how policy impacts education and how um, it impacts uh, who gets accepted and uh, the number of students that get in and don't get in. Um, and so all of that has sort of been a culmination of where I'm at now with my dissertation drafting. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, it's it's been, uh, I think a journey that um, has shed light on the system that keeps many of us out. And if we don't know the system and we don't know how to work through the system, we will be kept out. And so my goal is to hopefully connect the policy part to the, the education part in terms of access and how can we change policy so that more and more students can have access to higher education. Um, that's a little bit, I don't wanna go on too long. <laughs> no, it, it's, it's great. So that actually prompts me to want to ask you a follow-up question about how you even got into politics. Like, so what led you to getting into politics? And then, um, and I'll, I'll remind you then after that, at what point, or was there, um, was there some sort of catalyst or moment where you realized, I think I need a PhD to do what I want to do? So one is, how did you get into politics? And two, like, at what point did you realize, wait, I think I need to go into higher ed? Yeah, um, so my my background um, career-wise is, is kind of everywhere. Um, I started out as a, um, when I was at community college, I wanted to be a theater major. <laughs> Um, because I love the art. <laughs> Yay! A former, I'm a former theater nerd, so it, oh, makes, really? me, it, it makes my heart like light up yeah. when you say that. Yeah, I, I love the arts. I still do. Um, I fully enjoy them. My daughter kind of has that gene. Um, but then in school, I, I recognize that um, that necessarily was not the route uh, I wanted to take in terms of a career, right? Um, and so then I, I, I shifted over to women's studies um, and that's, I was at Santa Monica City College and um, trying to figure out, you know, I've been here long enough, what do I do to transfer? And I had the credits enough to transfer um, as a women's studies major to UCLA. Um, and so when I got accepted to UCLA and I started in my women's studies, um, you know, education, I came across women in politics and I had always kind of been interested in just curious, like who are the politicians, um, who votes the men, why are they there? 
type of thing. And, um, and that's kind of how I, I ended up in politics because shortly after that, um, I got an internship at a at Telemundo actually. And then I, I would get to interview the, the politicians. Like I remember interviewing Richard Reardon and you know Antonio Villarragosa and like all these other polit politicians that um, you know I never really like thought about. Um, and then shortly after that, I I started working for um, SEIU, which is the largest service employees union. And I'm over here thinking I'm moving away from you know the politics and um, and broadcasting and whatnot. And I ended up going in deeper <laughs> because a union, labor union, you, that's even more political. There's a lot of policy behind that too. And that's where my, my political wheel really started going because then um, I was the middle person between my organization and the elected officials who were voting on these contracts for these workers. Um, and then I started working for um, an assembly member in Santa Barbara and Ventura counties. Um, I became his district director. And then from that led me to being a district director for who I work for now. So I've been with the state assembly for 11 years, but my time in politics, if you add the other years, is almost 20, 20 year span. Um, never thinking that I was gonna run for office or be in office myself. I've always been sort of the, the behind the scenes type of person. Wow, that that's incredible. And with so much work experience, I would assume like, why would you need to go back to school? Or yeah. I've seen a lot of folks go back, but they go back and get very specific master's programs or they're like applied programs with the intention of taking it, applying it and going back to work. And so in your case, you're doing, you're doing the work and you're also in a PhD program. So like, how did you come to that decision? Yeah, and you know, I had always wanted to go back to school. Um, when I got my master's, that was maybe like six years ago, six, seven years ago now that I, when I got my master's and I always wanted just to kind of, and maybe it was part of the whole challenge, right? Get the highest you can. Um, but in in recognizing the, the policy work that I was doing within education, because as the district director, um, we have different issue areas, if you will, that we all cover. And I, I cover higher education for my boss. And so anything higher education policy-wise, career path-wise, um, I, I tend to be involved in it. And I started just recognizing, again, just how policy, the policy that is done in Sacramento, the policy that is done at the federal level, how that trickles down and impacts our local education opportunities for our students. And, and not that I needed the, the doctorate degree, if you will, but I really wanted to also um, be able to bring my experience as an immigrant, as a Latina, as a woman in politics um, into the mix, because I feel the, the, the perspective of a, of a female in these fields is very seldomly heard or, or put out there. And so for me, it's very important to be able to um, sort of bring that out and be able to share it. Because one of the very few comments, first comments that I received when I you know, told my circle of people that 
I was going after this doctorate degree was, um, why are you getting it in higher education? Like, doesn't make sense. Um, and, you know, that's not political. Like, what are you doing type of thing? And, and my response was like, you just don't know how political education really is. And so for me, I think that that was a catalyst that I really wanted to make that connection for people to see why it's important, who we elect, when we elect them, and, and what they do and how to hold them accountable, right? So, so that's kind of like what's been pushing me a bit. Um, and I think especially right now during the pandemic, um, we see that women Latinas are the ones who were impacted the most. They let, while they were the biggest number in the workforce, they were also the largest number of in the population who left work, the workforce because of the pandemic. Um, and now we got to figure out, are they going to go back to school? Are they going to get retrained? What's going to happen? And so I think all of that I'm trying to like fit into my, my research. Wow. Um, as you're sharing about, about that, I can't help but think of the younger generation is trying to figure out their career. And I, I think a lot of folks are going to be interested in pursuing a career in politics. And also among the students that I've worked with who are first gen, I will mm -hmm. tell you an overwhelming amount of them, if they could major in education, they would, they minored in education because it was their only option. And they were always interested, oh, I wanna to go to grad school in education. It's a really popular area and higher mm -hmm. ed in particular. So I would love for you to kind of, um, if you could expand a little bit more on like, what is the field of higher ed leadership in particular? Uh, it's not just higher ed, but higher ed leadership. And, um, and then in your case, how does, you getting a degree in higher ed leadership inform what you do. So how does it inform your work as a councilwoman? How does it inform your work as a mother? How does it inform your work as a researcher? Right, yeah. Um, and I think when we consider higher education, often we think about the teacher, often we think about the administrator, um, and we forget that there's more roles behind that title, right? Um, you have uh, uh, vice presidents, you have um, chancellors, you have, uh, you know, associates, and, and these are all individuals who at some level or another have influence over how education is delivered. Yeah, they're major stakeholders. And a lot of times yeah. students don't even know who they are or what they do. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And so um, I think part of my journey has been discovering that myself, because when I, when I got into my program, I recognized that I'm the only one in the program with a policy background. There's 16 of us in my cohort. Everyone else has like, an administrative position or a um, student outreach position or a, a teacher position that that sort of and and I don't have that experience per se, but I have the connection to the policy aspect and how our policies impact their programs, and um, and so for me it was it was eye opening as well because I felt like it would be good to have more policy people 
look at education leadership as a potential because then you can also connect and make that understanding of how policy really works. Um, in, if, if I flip it over and I talk about my policy work and how we get ideas on, on bills and legislative um, changes, those come from some of the people out in the field, right? Some of the people who are the teachers, who are the administrators, and they're saying, look, this isn't working. Um, you know, my, I, and just to give you like a quick example, my, my boss worked on a bill called AB 705, which is the remedial um, uh, reform bill, which is what we were calling it. And essentially the statistics were saying that uh, Latino and any student of color were the majority of the students that when they were applying to community colleges, they were being put in remedial courses because of the standard, because of the test we were, you, we had to take, right? And so that bill that um, we worked on essentially said no more of this placement testing. We're going to take high school uh, GPAs. We're going to take other standardized whatever so that we're not just basing it on a placement exam. And that opened the doors to students now who enroll in community college. They don't have to take a, a standardized uh, placement test and they can go straight to college credit courses. So to me, you know, we, we are informed as policymakers, we are informed by the administrators, by the teachers, by the counselors, but most of the time it doesn't go the other way around. Policymakers don't come and inform the administrators, the teachers, and, and, and I feel like that's an important tool that we should inform because then it, it could be a, a much less messy process, if you will. That that's um that's really interesting. Now I'm like, so how might you do that? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and 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 for me, the way I'm seeing it is, you know, through my dissertation process, you know, we we often are reminded, you know, your dissertation is not going to change the world, right? But that's always the goal. Let's change mm -hmm. the world somehow, <laughs> even if it's a little bit. Um, and and my hope is that at the end that if people can understand policy a lot better and see how it connects and it, and it impacts us all at a local level, then to me, that's, that's worth it, right? Because hopefully then people will be more invested in wanting to know how do I change something or how do, you know, how is this policy going to change my access to education? Which again, we often don't think about because we're just trying to enroll, we're trying to get through, and we're trying to get done. Um, and, and, you know, being a non-traditional student, uh, I, I didn't have the option to, you know, take a different schedule, right? I had to mold my schedule to whatever was being offered at the community college or at UCLA. And, and I would like that maybe perhaps at one point, one day, policy will change it to where the, the institutions are adjusting to the student's schedule. You know, we see that a little bit now with night classes and weekend classes and other programs, but that's my hope, right? That one day the institutions will be actually molding to the student versus the other way around. 
I mean, it does seem like that's the direction that we're leading to, especially in light of the pandemic and more online instruction, which also means more asynchronous instruction. It provides the options for folks right. to do their schooling on their own time, but it's, you know, it's, it's complicated. <laughs> yeah. And it's a long road. And, yeah. you know, and that's the other thing that um, education leadership is not one answer. It's multiple. Um, because we have so many different students, we have so many different institutions. And one of the things in my dissertation is, you know, is really analyzing and look at the master plan for higher education that California holds as a standard for their higher education goals. Um, and that, that dictates a lot of how our education is provided. So, um, and again, that's, that's a policy that was implemented many, many years ago. Um, and has it been looked at, has it been revised to meet who the students are of today versus the students of when it was created? Um, for the folks that are listening that are interested in following a similar path, you know, if you could go back and do this again, what words of advice would you give them if they're interested in policy or they're interested in higher ed leadership, they're interested in the intersection of the two things? Yeah, what would you tell them? You know, um, I've, I've always had uh, the outlook of, you know, if it's an opportunity, take it. Um, I often hear uh, students or other people wait for the right time, right? It's not ready yet, or I'm not ready. And the reality is um, I have experienced that there never is a perfect time. Right, and we we hear that, but it doesn't really resonate until we're there, and and so I have always said, you know, our our success depends a lot on on what we do ourselves, right? And you know, there's times when, you know, we'll choose left versus right, and the outcome will be different. But in the end, I I truly believe that we'll be where we need to be. Um, so for me, always being open to opportunities is important. Um, never thinking that uh, your success has to look exactly how you had it in your mind, <laughs> because it, sometimes it won't come out that way, and it's okay. Um, and then uh, I think the other thing is just um, recognizing that you don't have to do everything all at once, or you don't have to do, you know, or that because you didn't do Y, somehow, you know, X is not going to be correct. I mean, to me, life has so many chapters and that's why I think I have so, my background is so like diverse and you can think that it's crazy, but at the end, everything has really come together and culminated. Um, I think as a, as a person, you know, in the public figure arena, if you will, I get to bring these to to the forefront. I get to bring these issues to the forefront and I get to have a platform. Um, and I think that's something that I didn't, you know, never thought I would do, but um, it's because opportunity knocked and I thought about it and it worked out and I said, okay, sure, let me give it a shot. Um, but so to me, as long as it's not hurting yourself, it's not hurting others, if it's a great opportunity, take it. Like you never know what you're gonna get. And, and for me, that's always, that's how I've always treated things. Um, and, 
you know, and I always say, you know, cause my, my kids are, are, my kids are older now, but they, they've definitely said, you know, I want to do this and I want to do that. And, you know, I can't choose. And, and sometimes you have to choose just for that moment, but it doesn't mean, you know, a few years down the line, you won't get to choose again. So there's always opportunities, I think. That's great. So the question. <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, it's just any advice. I was like, sometimes it's like, you know, life lessons. It's like what, yeah. you know, what ultimately helped you get to the point where you are today? Or if you could go back in time, what would you tell yourself? Um, so we're getting close to wrapping up the episode. So I wanted to ask if there's anything else you wanted to share. And if not, how can folks reach you for the folks that listen, resonated with you, would like to connect in some way, shape or form? How can they reach you? Yeah, um, I am available via, um, you know, email. Um, I If I can give out my email, is that whatever you know sometimes right. some folks like will share like a social handle if they have like a public social right. media account or their email address if they're open to sharing it yeah they, they can find me on social media though I don't post often um about politics or anything I'm more about food and my pets <laughs> and I, I love that, that. <laughs> and I've actually been thinking like maybe I should you know kind of do another social media um but I'm under Janet Sanchez Palacios two N's, two T's, um, they can find me that way as well. Um, you know, I, I think just kind of thinking about how I ended up here, again, the, the opportunities that came knocking, but I think also remembering that you have people out there who wanna help um, and, and leaning on folks that are there to help you. I, I certainly wouldn't have made it out here on my own. There are many, many people who have said, hey, why don't you give this a shot or who supported me in going through the doctorate program. I know my family has been very uh, supportive. I wouldn't be doing half of what I'm doing now if it wasn't for them. They're, they've always been super supportive. And, and sometimes when we don't think we have the support, um, you certainly have to have that faith in yourself and know that things will work out. Um, they might not look like it at that time in that moment, but um, keep going and you know whatever uh, desire or or goal you you want to reach, make a plan. You know, do a plan. Uh, talk about it out loud, even if it's to yourself. But talk about it, um, plan it out, and and then just kind of execute, if you will, go from there and and. People will come who need to come to help you. It, it will be there, but you just have to kind of be the first one to hit the start button. It's amazing what can come out of making a plan and then reminding yourself that things will work out. You know, yeah. it's, it's, yeah. it's, you know, half of the battle is just the mindset part of like, okay, exactly. <laughs> I want to yeah. get it done. And, and it is actually possible, even if it feels <laughs> like this big thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, I'm in the process right now where it feels like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? Um, but, <laughs> you know, got to remind myself it will work out. So Right, right. Soon, yeah. soon you will be doctora. Soon. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you so much, Jeanette, for coming on the podcast, for sharing your words of wisdom, your experience. Uh, I know that the listeners will gain a lot from it. And I just really appreciate you for, for sharing your time and, and space with us. No problem. And thank you again for the platform and for doing this. I, I congratulate you on 
on doing your, you know, thing and, and putting it out there, sharing thank the story. You. So, thank you for that. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining me in the Grad School Femme Drawing Podcast. If you liked what you heard, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts or email me your review at gradschoolfemtouring at gmail.com. You can also show your support by going to gradschoolfemtouring.com and joining my mailing list where you'll receive weekly tips, podcast and blog updates, as well as discounts for my digital downloads, online courses, and much more. One last thing. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Until next time.